You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 16, Star Trek The Next Generation, Syndication Pre-Sales, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, all you Star Trek fans. Hey, especially you Star Trek historians, we otherwise call you Trekophiles, spelled with an F. Everybody in the Star Trek family, we have a really, really special episode today. Um, Our documents this week... Well, yeah, we have a document, and we've got a photograph. Uh, It's part of the interesting story we're going to present to you this week. We've got a really interesting guest. We're just going to plunge in this week. I want to present to you someone you likely have never heard from, but then, hey, when has that stopped us with our incredible guests of the Trek Files? That's the whole point. We've got a man today that's with the franchise for uh, 20, 30 years, doing all kinds of roles that you probably weren't aware of, and yet you were they were so much a part of your life i'm so thrilled to have with us today joining us let's just plunge in writer producer director don beck he's the head of beckola productions and uh toolbox productions don welcome to the trek files i want to get right into this because it's going to take you to explain to everybody exactly what kind of a role and a very key central role and heretofore largely untold role in star trek but thanks for joining us today don well, hello, Larry. It's been a while. I haven't seen or heard from you in a while, but our cross, our paths crossed uh, many times during the last, oh, 20, 25 years. Uh, so, yeah, I think I bring an interesting perspective to Star Trek, so uh, ask away. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, can't, I came into the, the last realm was actually with the Star Trek tour show that launched in Long Beach and then wound up going on different guises, different owners later. But at your beginning... You were, you were at Paramount in the, let's go back to this, what, the late 70s, early 80s? How did, you, how did you get involved with Star Trek at the beginning? Because, well, anyway, we're talking motion picture era here in phase two era, which is kind of amazing. Well, I actually was a writer-producer at ABC On Air Advertising for a number of years. I was a staff uh, creative director and then went to a production company that then took that account outside. And one thing lead to another. And my life uh, started at Paramount. Uh, I worked with uh, Barry Diller there, and I worked with Eisner there at Paramount. And um, I was uh, the writer, producer, director, creative of everything having to do with Winds of War and War and Remembrance back in the day. And that really uh, brought me to the Paramount lot. And one thing led to another. And then I was uh, introduced to Lucy Solhaney because of my involvement. At the time, Winds of War, and it still might be, was one of, if not the highest rated television shows of all time in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was that, a big miniseries event, right? Yeah, it was a huge yeah. miniseries. When miniseries was a big, big deal, uh, I was creative director on Winds of War, uh, Roots, uh, Ike, Masada, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that was produced by Paramount, uh, Paramount Television, not necessarily Paramount Domestic mm-hmm. Television. So that's how I got to be involved with Paramount. And you were doing exactly what for those, all those productions? Well, I was doing a myriad of things, mostly all of the on-air advertising and also what was referred to at the time as sales presentations. 
It's now referred to as sizzle reels, a word I don't like, a phrase I don't like. Uh, sales presentations, which were done to go out to the affiliate stations, and in this case, the ABC stations, and show them what was coming in the year ahead. And um, so I did all of that. I helped position and market those shows to be shown on network television. Right. So in that case, you were prepping. It's not like the affiliates, you weren't having to sell them on the show. You were just giving them a taste of what it'd be so they could go out and market their own local commercials, their own sales and ad campaigns, right? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, the networks have these events called upfronts, which go to mm -hmm. show the advertisers what shows are coming up. So I did these sales presentations. I also helped to position these particular shows to the advertisers so they knew a look ahead what they were going to get. Uh, I also did a many behind the scenes and half hour and hour documentaries on all those shows on Ike, Masada, Winds of War and War and Remembrance. So uh, at the time, I wasn't just doing advertising and promotion. I was producing and directing documentaries on the shows. Right. For, for actual viewers. Yes. Right. Not, not in-house so much. No. So you were like, you were all over the place. So what was this fateful crossing of paths that brought you to Star Trek? Well, you know what, before <laughs> I get into that, it's very interesting. I, I don't think, or maybe people don't remember how this kind of came to be. Star Trek, when it was on NBC, was a network project, mm -hmm. and it was owned by Desilu. And Desilu then had this literal fire, and Paramount ended up buying Desilu. Mm -hmm. And one of the projects before it was into syndication, it was a network television show, was Star Trek. And Paramount absorbed that show and a bunch of other shows into their portfolio, as it were. Well, then what happened was, because people say, well, how did John Pike, who was the president of Paramount Network Television, get involved? And that's how he got involved, because Paramount was split up between Paramount Network Television, John Pike was the president of that, and Lucy Solhaney, who was president of Paramount domestic television. So there was two different areas of television going on at Paramount. Uh, and that's how I got involved. So the network television are the making the series that were on the networks, legitimate network, like, like what Cheers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the, the network show. And domestic TV was what? More shows that were in syndication, like okay. talk shows, like court shows, shows that were going to be in first run syndication. That was a huge market. Back in the 70s and the 80s, uh, the television, the syndicated television stations were owned by an example like Sinclair. They owned certain television right. syndicated market. Paramount had its own group of syndicated television shows. Um, uh, There's several of them that were out there and they were splintered across the country and they were small groups. Cox had their own syndicated group of television stations right, right. that were owned by, they could have been. 10 or 15, maybe 20 television stations at once. So it was a splintered marketplace. On top of that, you had small mom and pop stations across the country. That were just home-owned. So on one hand, Paramount TV, uh, John Pike's division, is making the network series that we're all familiar with that went right to network, the networks and their affiliates. And domestic TV is making all those syndicated stations that independents and some affiliates, but independents especially, filled up their days with the talk shows the sports shows, the, the, uh, the, the entertainment news shows. That's right. That. I yeah. mean, what, what I don't think, I, I don't think people, what people understand is local news 
generally speaking, makes more money for the local stations than anything because it's cheap to produce. It's like the movie theaters making more money on popcorn than they do showing the movie. That's correct. Yeah. And so it was a pretty tough sell and somebody made the decision that if we're going to bring a new Star Trek television series, the networks weren't going for it. So that's at some point John kind of handed it off to Lucy and say said to her, "Why don't you go and run with this?" So at the time I was producing Various things for Lucy Solhaney and that division of spots here and there, and nothing too uh, extraordinary. My career with that division wasn't as much, it wasn't as, as, as lucrative as it was when I was producing for the network. Right. Because you're, you're promoting all those syndicated shows. All that's right. That's correct. The long slate. And, and so the funny part of that story is, um, I had to go in to show her something and she was, she was a pretty tough cookie. She was great to work for, but she was, you know, she had a Lebanese background. She was acerbic. She was funny. She this was is Lucy angry. Solhaney. Lucy Solhaney. And Lucy Solhaney, you know, she would throw three and quarter inch cassettes across the room. If you were in a meeting, she didn't like what you had to say. She was a very interesting character, a wonderful woman, by the way, and very, very, very smart. And, she sp- and it's L-U-C-Y? L-U-C-I-E. Oh, okay. Lucy. Yeah. She did not, she did not like L-U-C-Y. That was part of her thing. In any event, so I go into a meeting with her and I'm sitting in the outer office and I hear all this yelling going on. I'm going, oh my God, I got to, I got to see this woman. I'm really not in the mood for this. And I'm looking at my watch and the meetings I'm sitting with, whoever I was sitting with and the meeting inside was going late, late, late. Anyway, I hear the door burst open. It's Lucy Solhaney. And she catches me looking at my watch. She says, what are you late for another appointment? what do you have something better to do? And I said, well, actually I do. Cause I look at my watch and I go, you know what? It's 10 to four. And if I don't leave in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to disappoint 25 kids who are waiting on a soccer field. Cause I'm the soccer coach. So that's what I'm waiting for. And all of a sudden she looked at me and I've never seen this part of her before this side of her. She said, Oh, really great. And she looks at her, her, her gal, her secretary and says, reschedule him for tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And then she went on screaming at whoever else was waiting in the room for her. And I just left. And I was, you know, pretty young and pretty inexperienced starting a new production company. I went, oh my God, let me get out of this room with this crazy woman. (laughs) So as I'm leaving the door, she says, and by the way, do you know what the meeting's about? I said, no, actually I don't. And she goes, have you ever heard of Star Trek? And I go, yes. She said, are you a Star Trek fan? I said, I got to be honest, Lucy. No. She goes, perfect. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 10. (laughs) So, I mean, that's the true story with that. And the woman that was in the meeting with me was Meryl Cohen. Mm. And Meryl Cohen was the head of what would be called, you know, marketing, merchandising, advertising. She was brilliant at what she did as well. There was nobody better who could position and market uh, a particular show. And for someone like me, an outside producer, she would just say, Here's what we're attempting to do. Here's your budget. Go do it. And then I would go do it. And I, it, for a creative person like myself, it was wonderful to be left alone to be able to go do that. So that's Lucy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. What, what is it? Not PC to say a colorful broad? Is, are we not allowed to say Yeah, that? I guess she would be called a c- colorful broad. You know, she was a, uh, a larger-than-life personality. There was a lot of people who didn't care for her. Uh, 
who thought she was a little crazy. She was a two-fisted drinker. Uh, all the times when I accompanied her for various reasons, putting on shows, I would live direct various shows, upfront presentations and things of that nature, advertising shows and stuff. You know, when the show was done for the day and you were sitting at the bar in the hotel in New York, she was as normal as normal could be. You could talk to her about sports. She could talk to her about anything having to do with the industry, and she was great. She could turn it on and turn it off. The next morning, if you were on set with her and something wasn't right, oh, my God, you were heard. The best thing about Lucy Solhaney is if she had a problem, you heard it directly from her, not, for any of her, not from any of her lieutenants, and, and that was a wonderful thing. She was a great, great, great executive, and, and I don't think people understand or give her um, the, the, the validity that they should give her uh, for the work that she's done in this industry. Well, let's give her some validity here. In The Final Frontier, how did that coalesce then? We're, we're coming up on the desire to have a new series? Right. I mean, Next Generation. Next Generation, right. What became Next Generation? Well, yeah, you know what happened is... Because here's the thing, Don. We think about uh, The Next Generation. Oh, it debuted in 1987. They, had, they got together with Gene in 86, and we've recently figured out that there was a first draft of the show that didn't involve Gene, but then he said, nope, you're doing it with me, and that was late summer, and they announced the show at that point. But you're telling me that that was not the first step. The first step had been going on for, what, a year before? Yes, it absolutely had been going on a year before, and here's how it came to be. So anyways, I go to my soccer practice. The kids were really happy. Coach shows up, and I felt really good, and next morning I go in at 10 o'clock. Lucy had these relatively early meetings, and the very first thing she said to me, you know, she had five people in the room. So how did it go last night? I said, it went great. And I appreciate it because the time I got there was now we're talking about fall and it was getting dark early. And I don't, you know, I had 30 kids and I coached the soccer team and I said, it went great. And we chatted like that for five or 10 minutes. And then I come to know that she had two kids that were kind of at that age. I think one was named Hal. I can't remember the other kid that played soccer back in Boston because um, that's where she was from. Uh, I mean, ultimately she was from Boston, but she was born, I think in Cleveland, but anyhow, so we had a nice chat about that. And that, that was a really nice part of her that she would, she would take that. Anyhow, she said, okay, let's pivot and bam, takes off that hat, puts on another hat. She says, okay, you said last night, you know, anything about Star Trek, here's what's going on. We've got this show and I did a little research and we're bringing it out in syndication. We have no footage. We don't know where we're going. <laughs> We'd have no Bible. We have no stars. We have nobody attached to this. And I go, oh, this sounds great. <laughs> I can't wait to jump in on this project. Now, heretofore, when and, I go into these. And me syndication meaning we're going to go sell it. This we're gonna go going to go sell it. it That's the big affiliate. thing. That's right. This is they, like it, it's not like a network show that can shove it down their throat. Right. This is syndication. She says, this is a tough sell. We don't even know if we can sell it. And the three or four or five men who are in the room. She was very unusual. She was the only woman that I knew at that time that was an executive at that level. She was president. They're looking at each other, basically saying, oh, my God, I don't know where we're going with this. And um, so I said, so what do you want me to do? She said, well, you got to make it up. You, you, you can use all the footage from the original. You cannot use anything from motion picture because that's a different division. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have access to these individuals. You can go interview them and give me a sales presentation. That's second to none. At that point, I was pretty much perfect in my sales presentations, both in syndication and network. I knew what I was doing. 
I had, I was batting a hundred or a batting a thousand. However, that works. I guess I batting a thousand. And, um, now I'm looking at this saying, Oh, this is a tough sell. You know, he had these episodes. So she said, so here's a list, go wrangle these guys, go interview them and cut me a piece. So I went, okay. So her meetings didn't go long. And I look across to these sales guys who are shaking their heads going, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work. And I go, what well, do you want me to give? You want to give me any more input? She says, no, but I can tell you this. There's going to be a lot of blowback, a lot of negative feedback from these station owners, because a lot of these guys lost money on the original Star Trek series. TOS. We're talking 60s, 20 years later and long, right. long memories. Long memories. A lot of these guys who were station managers, now station owners, and they're not happy guys. They lost a lot of money on the original Star Trek. It's going to be a tough sell. I can tell you that, but go do what you need to do. So I left. So um, I, I went and I set up on the Paramount lot, all union. I was a union DGA director and I shot this stuff on film. And what came out of that is the famous Gene Roddenberry yellow sweater interview mm. with him. And he was in great shape and he was happy to do it because I guess the studio had acquiesced to whatever financial or creative issues they might've had with him. Mm -hmm. And let me just pause there for a minute. Cause I think I want to go on record and say this, cause I think it's important. There has been a lot of throughout the years, negative comments about Gene. Uh, inside Star Trek, the Herb Solo book, and Herb has now passed away, I understand. And I worked with him on Inside Star Trek on the, on the DVD, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about later. But it's funny how revisionist history, they want to talk about how Gene was this and that and the other thing and difficult. My personal interaction with Gene Roddenberry was the best I've ever had with anybody at that level. He was easy to deal with. I enjoyed him personally. I enjoyed him creatively. And I understand why he stuck to his guns, because if he hadn't, who knows what Star Trek would have been, but we know what it is now. And it's in all kinds of machinations and all kinds of uh, forms all across all kinds of media. And without his guidance at the time when he was alive, Star Trek wouldn't be where it is today. And all of the fans out there wouldn't be enjoying the animated series and the television series and the motion pictures and all these various directors, producers and writers who have gotten involved. Right. And I need to say that. All those people involved, all the fans enjoyed, and all those involved creatives and their kids playing soccer. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So the, and the bottom line, though, was there was there was no announcement made of the series within the year unless those stations had been pre-sold. And they wanted how much of the country to be uh, on board? I think at the time they needed to clear what was called clearing the country. I think they needed 65% which sounds like it's not a lot, but it's actually a lot. So That's not like potential eyeballs, all the markets, 65% of all the TV market available audience. Right. So, so here's now you want to pivot to how that came about. Oh, oh, oh Don, um, can I just, this is amazing and it's going in places I didn't even quite consider. Can, is there any way we are out of time now, but can I, can I have you back? Uh, let's finish this story. Cause we're just, we're just getting down the road of the amazing relationship and role you played in, in bringing back Star Trek. Can I, can I have you come back and join us again? Absolutely. My uh, pleasure. Okay, everybody. Hang tight. We will be back with the saga of Don Beck and how Star Trek was really returned to your airwaves uh, next time on The Trek Files.
Yes, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfile. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47 at larrynimacek.com. And that's where you can link in for all the new Trek File swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.